0: Hey, folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today I am talking to Alexandra Kovez in Budapest, Hungary. Hi, Alexandra. Hello. How Hello, are you?
1: everyone. Yes. Very good, thank you.
0: Uh, Sandra, as she goes by, and I met in Budapest, Hungary a couple months ago at the Integral European Conference last May, and she did a presentation that I thought was just terrific, And it was on the coming economy, looking forward, actually doing something that she calls backcasting as we create, you know, a vision of the economy to come. Sandra is an ecological economist. She is a doctoral candidate at the Environmental Economics and Technology Department of Corvinus University in Budapest. And again, Sandra, welcome and thank you for being on the Daily Evolver with me.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes. So
1: let's look at, just
0: in general, uh, maybe big picture, as we you know look at a world that is continuing to evolve, and we have these economies that are, in many ways, based on a growth model, uh, with some touches of a sustainability model sort of wanting to come online. What I'd like to ask you first is, your vision of what you call in your work a normative economy. And I actually looked that up and because I wonder what this normative means. I see it all the time. And it's a normative statement, it is a, a statement about how things ought to be, what to value, what's good or bad, right or wrong, that sort of thing. So kind of an ideal economy uh, in the next 50 years and then working back to actually put in place uh, what is, um, you know, the steps to get there. It's a, a process you call backcasting, and maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Um, backcasting is um, is a research method that has been used uh, um, not so widely, but has been used uh, in, uh, in so-called transition management. Uh, generally, um, in sustainability issues, and um, the the main idea behind that is uh, currently we live in a world where um, where we are locked in by certain technological um, pathways, uh, cognitive fr- uh, frames, um, many many things lock us into what we do now. And we cannot imagine how we can do more about um, achieving a sustainable world, and how to go about it. And basically, those who uh, invented this method of backcasting, they thought um, it would help if we could leave behind um, all these locking effects, and uh, and could could actually envision a future, and see how we can uh, get. To that future from um, uh, step by step but not Mm -hmm. defining it from the the present but having this uh, normative vision of the future um, through deliberation through the participation of different groups Mm -hmm. and um, and then we see let's say okay what is the world of work going to look like in 2050 and then we work our way, way back and we say, okay, if this is the way we want to go, where should we be at, in 2040? Where should we be in 2025? And what should we do now? Yeah. So uh, this is a kind of uh, word play, um, you know, instead of forecasting, yeah. it's backcasting because we're not, yeah. we're not doing it from the present into the future, but from the future back to the present. And um, the great thing about this method is um, is that you really enable people to think out of the box. Yeah. And uh, well, what our economy needs you... now yeah. is, is yeah. thinking out of the box.
0: Yeah, indeed. And you worked with two different groups, right? A group of students and a group of... Uh, Executives right
1: that's right this uh, particular research uh on the world of work um we involved uh two different uh, uh, groups. one was uh what we call an expert panel um, where uh, we involved people from the academic sphere from um, business um, government uh, and um the civil sector and um and they were they were in a way all related to employment issues right and um their age was was relatively well (laughs) relatively high 46 years because we were going for experience and, and knowledge in employment issues and um the result was really exciting and um when we looked at the results of this expert panel we started thinking yeah but would young people come up with the same results right. and um uh, that's when we decided that we would um do another backcasting with the same method same uh preparation um same uh, uh moderators and uh, and see how it works with um students who um who are more like towards green thinking because the people yes. who worked with employment, you know, they, they weren't green at all. They they were not concerned about the environment or they, they weren't more concerned about the environment than, than an average person, I would say. Right, right. But uh, yeah. so these two no, they so were really uh, got green in their from... thinking. And, um, and we wanted to know if there is a difference between these two groups and the exciting result was that um there were very very few differences so basically the this vision of the future um was uh was very much alike in the two groups uh, even though the age was like 20 uh, uh 20 years apart
0: Yeah, well, that's very interesting and very encouraging, actually, because here you are taking data from what we would call the orange meme, just roughly speaking, the older folks, and the green meme, the younger folks. And it's very encouraging that in terms of thinking about an ideal future, a normative future 50 years out, that they came up with so much that was the same.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's one of the uh, one of the most exciting results yeah, because uh, too. uh it means um obviously it's very difficult to say why it's um uh, it's it's so similar, but I have some theories and 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 what, one one of one of them is um that we um basically most humans once they are given the liberty. To, to think freely and uh, to get rid of the constraints of of uh, of their their current lives. Once they uh, uh, they are able to do that, they they can. Um, you know the values of people, and and their their desire of of how to live. Yes. Are very similar. Yes.
0: Yes, every and we want everybody why, to have a, we want everybody to have their needs met, we want them to have some meaningful work and a good life. And you know, this is not hard, this is good basic moral intuition. And you have, you know, this backcasting just gives us an excuse to allow that to arise.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh and with regard to the future or, or the elements of, uh, of this vision they came up with, I also believe that we kind of know there is, the information is there, the information is available to us um, to to know where where we should be going or where we are going.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at that if you would, Sandra. Um, you, you dealt in several categories, and, and let's just walk through them, if, if you would. And the first one is something we've touched on already a bit, and that is just the redefinition of work. And I see it in, in your in your write-up you talked about work is self-development and self-development is work, and I just love that. So tell us a bit about that.
1: Yes, both groups uh, um, agreed that the, the central idea of of a different uh, uh life is um is uh, is to redefine to to think differently about work and um and the difference would be that currently we consider work as a kind of um, um negative utility you know we we have to endure work in order to um in order to uh enjoy our uh, consumption through through work yep. and um and and this is how also how economists think about it you know um, you 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 do work because you want to consume uh, but both groups were saying that no work is something that is part of your life it's not necessarily monetized. It's not ne- necessarily um, uh, just in paid employment, but it's for your own development and it's for the development of your society, of your surrounding, of your environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, this is something that you do for yourself and for your for your uh, uh closer circle or 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 the larger uh, society. And and this means that anything you do in order to develop either yourself or um your surroundings is work. So, uh, self-development self-development is is the first circle, what you do for yourself. Uh you can develop through your work or you can work in order to develop yourself. I, I don't know whether whether you see what, what the difference is between the two. Um, well, tell us, the, tell,
0: explain it to us, Sandra. Sorry? I said explain the difference, if you would.
1: Basically, if you want to, to study, to develop, you can... Uh, you can do studying. You can do non-formal learning. You can participate in in certain uh, um, certain social or community work, and and through that you, uh, in in order to develop. So this is your goal yes. to develop.
0: Yeah, well, and you're, um, you're being educated. You're learning new skills.
1: Exactly. So yeah, this. Can be considered work yes. you can consider learning work you can you can uh, consider participating in community uh, work so so that is is work that you do in order to develop, but on the other hand, in society, we need to acknowledge that we develop through our work, yes. even just the work we do um, let's say household chores. Or simple work they can also lead to to self-development as long as as yeah. long as we uh, we are conscious of uh, why we do it and how, how, how we do it
0: well I think of my friend Deanna who is in her 70s and what she does is she goes to the hospital to the nursery and she rocks the babies so that they have you know, they have time in the lap of a loving grandma, and uh, so in the you know in the world to come, she would be paid for that. That would be her thing, her contribution. Or
1: maybe she won't be paid for that because uh, uh, because the world of work they imagined in this podcasting was that we do earn. I mean, some of the work we do is for money. But even that we can enjoy, or even that can be something that uh that we are aware that develops us or um uh, uh, or improves uh, uh improves our our circumstances uh, but some some work will be voluntary, so you know yes. um rocking babies or or doing something for your community it can also be considered work or doing your household chores or looking after your own child or looking after your old parents these are all work and they're not necessarily um paid but they are they are work so how and and this is this is where it it, it comes to being integrated like you are integrated in your life you don't have to separate things that you know in between uh, nine a.m. and five p.m., you are an employer and not a mother, and uh, and and not a, a daughter of a of a, a sick parent. Um, but the way you consider work is that yes, some part of it, I am employed by somebody and I get paid. But there are loads of things that I do. Uh, that I consider work, uh but they 're not not necessarily pay- paid and the exciting uh thing was that they even included political participation
0: uh-huh. as work, yeah,
1: so the fact that you participate in society, you participate in in community decision making, but it's also work, and nobody pays for that, but you know your society, your surroundings they develop through this kind of deliberation, through this kind of participation.
0: But we would have to say that everybody gets to live a you know, materially adequate life, so there's some sort of a guaranteed basic income, I'm assuming.
1: Yes. Uh, the guaranteed basic income um, as a concept came up in both groups and um uh they they were debating it just like uh, all those societies who who are uh, uh ripe enough to uh, to, de- to debate uh, guaranteed basic like income. in
0: Switzerland and Germany yes
1: yes um, and uh and they were debating um a lot but they all included it as a as a kind of tool towards uh, a policy tool that can lead towards this vision simply because uh, the guaranteed basic income would mean that um, that people 's very very basic needs are are covered, so they don 't starve uh, they don 't have to live on the streets, but obviously anything more uh, they they do they would they would have to earn some money but this guaranteed basic income helps this concept of of getting rid of this idea that you can only eat if you work yeah. so well, if a, you have a, a if you have a sick parent and you have to to look after him ah uh, maybe for a couple of months you will not be able to work for for money but you know for another a, another four months and and you can you can you can work and you can earn money and um and this is how the guaranteed basic income would would help this concept that you you don't have to worry sick if if for that particular period in your life you cannot fulfill your your monetized activities
0: yeah well, you talked about that there was debate about this in your groups, and, of course, there's also debate about this in these countries uh, like Switzerland and Germany where they're actually talking about it. And, of course, the other side of the debate is that there's a moral, what we call a moral hazard to this, that, that if we make, uh, you know, get people's basic needs met, then nobody will work. And so what do you say to that?
1: Um, I don't believe that's that's true. Um, and... Um, <laughs> and and both both groups uh both groups showed that if we redefine work and and work we don't we no longer consider a chore then working is um is something that that you know that people do uh um with enthusiasm yeah. because yeah. i mean look at lottery winners you know they don't all just Sit around at home, they right. do something because this yeah. this is what's meant to be if you if you can if you can actually enjoy your work and you don't have to work fifty hours a week and then do all the things you need to do ah uh, then then yes people people would work, and the other thing is you know the guaranteed basic income does not mean that you know you live really really well right. it only means that you know you don't yeah. starve so um uh so, so that's that's also something that um uh I, I think that that goes against this idea of nobody will work i think uh, yeah. uh people feel morally obliged to work they it is part of their development and um and also It's a question of redefining needs because uh, because some some needs that we have, some human needs, um, are related to work. Like you know, being active, being part of a community, participating. You you know, you can you can fulfill these needs through work, through meaningful
0: work. I think that's exactly right, Sandra. I think that. We'll have some version of basic needs met whether you do anything or don't, and and we're just going to have to sort of tolerate this. There's probably going to be some small number of people who are going to sit on the couch and watch their television, yeah. And that and so be it. But that's not human beings are working machines. We're creative, you know, beings, and we want to create. We want to contribute and as we see that things like you're talking about taking care of a sick parent rocking the babies being part of community politics these sorts of things are actually contributions to the whole and by doing this you, you know you're you're living notch better and then you, you we go up from there in terms of um you know there's probably some maximum income too but um who knows we'll, we'll work this and out when as
1: when go. when when you look at when you look at work now I mean, so much of what we do is, is actually meaningless,
0: Yeah. you know? Well, and so much of what we do will be, th- that meaningless stuff will, can, will be more and more taken over by automation and machines. Exactly. And that's fine. The, the, the material wealth is actually easy to create that we need.
1: Exactly. I mean, uh, this, this was also part of the discussions that uh, uh, the level of technology now enables us to live like that. Maybe yeah. maybe we also have to get rid of this idea of, uh, of constant economic growth. Yeah. Because um, now, especially in developed countries, we are consuming more and more and more for no reason. You know? Yeah. Half of what we consume we don't even need. We just need it because the, this is the economic rationale behind it. But otherwise... Um, you know, we may not have to uh, mass produce a lot of things um, and and have absolutely mind-numbing jobs um, just because the economy needs needs to grow. I was
0: going to say that's a good trade-off to have meaningful work and, you know, a meaningful life. And there's at some point, this is actually a consciousness development issue at some point people realize that material wealth increasing material wealth does not make you happier we all know that sort of intellectually but we need to you know sort of get that and i actually think the younger generation we're seeing this we're seeing this in america there's a definitely a postmodern subculture of young people and more and more young people who really don't want these big houses and don't want to live out in the Suburbs and don't want you know this sort of materialistic rat race, and I'm encouraged by that.
1: Yes, as soon as as soon as we realize that there are uh, um, so so much more to human needs than uh, um, simple material needs. You know, yeah. we have spiritual needs. We have. Uh, Participation, need for participation, need for creativity—so many needs that cannot, at the moment, cannot be fulfilled through material uh, consumption, That's and right. we tend to forget that.
0: And we tend to undervalue them because they're not in, you know, engaged or in the economic system. So yes,
1: exactly. Or uh, spiritual needs. Yes. Um, I mean, these are things that you, you cannot, you know, you, you cannot, cons- you know, you cannot fulfill them through consumption, but you can fulfill them through uh, through work, I mean, the work that we've been talking about. Yes. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about another one of the issues that you focused on, and that is this idea of globalization, localization, and I love the term you used, that's eco-localization. And uh, so... Tell us a little bit about what you folks foresee in this way.
1: Mhm. Um, well again um uh, I would go back to the groups because I uh, I think uh, I think it was quite exciting how they uh, uh they defined it. They defined a kind of glocalization, what well, I would call a glocalization, um where um where we live in a global network of local communities, and I think this idea of of a network is, is quite exciting. So, we live in in local communities where people care about each other, where um, um, uh, there are local uh, consumption and production uh, uh, circles. So you know we tend to consume what we produce uh locally mainly not not only um uh but we care about that because uh i mean eco localization is is uh is a term uh, uh used by some researchers for uh um uh, for localizing the economy and uh, creating these uh these uh local production consumption loops uh, but what what the groups were saying that all these local communities they are not um they don't stand on their own they are not isolated they are fully aware that they they live in a global world and whatever they do has an impact on other communities so it's yeah. not it's not a kind of going back to the um uh to ancient times and and you know um living in a village and and not caring about whatever's going on uh beyond uh, the boundaries um but caring for your local community with the the conscious awareness that there is another world you know beyond yeah. this community and yeah. and what you do in your community affects everyone globally yeah. um so maybe maybe we wouldn't need to import shoes from um i don't know um 8000 miles because we can actually make them locally but we can share knowledge we can share culture um and we can you know we can have um we can have bananas in Hungary where we can't grow them, although there was a huge discussion on that in the young group. it was very funny they were talking about a banana commando <laughs> that uh, okay. um. <laughs> that you know nobody should eat bananas in in Hungary because you know they have to travel so far and whatever um but yes that was a that was a a funny discussion whether we should have something like that um uh, and uh, and obviously they uh, they they didn't agree upon <laughs> it but uh uh but the main idea is that whatever you can consume locally you should. Um yeah. and we're actually
0: seeing we're seeing this arising somewhat um in different places and one of them is where I live here in Boulder, Colorado, which is a very progressive postmodern green community, and we have this very thriving uh farmer industry here in our Boulder county, and we have these farmers' markets where that are just thronged by people. And these farms all have – they have dinners where you go out to the farm and you eat there, and people are very interested. And what's interesting in terms of what you're talking about, this localized but also global, is that uh, we have uh, these supermarkets. An example of them is Whole Foods, where it's actually a national, an international chain of supermarkets, but each of them works with the local farmers. So it's kind of both and i feel like that's some of the shape of things to come
1: yes also when you when you go and um uh, go to the market and meet the person who's who's actually producing your food um this whole idea of uh, of responsibility becomes different you know yeah. because uh, that person who's who's selling you your food Will feel responsible for for giving you yep. healthy and uh, and and giving you the best he can. Um, while if you go to a supermarket, you know it's uh, you know they don't really care. I mean, if you pay for it, you eat whatever you pay for, and that, and that's it. But this this personal touch of actually being close to the person who produces it
0: yep. is
1: good for both partners um yeah. because the people will feel more more obliged to act responsibly and uh, and you will feel more secure eating their food so uh yeah. so shortening yeah, this chain will be beneficial to to both sides
0: yeah yes and it's from an integral perspective we would say that this now includes the interiors so not only am I getting food but um, I actually know the farmer. I have a relationship with him or her, exactly. And that actually enhances the food. Uh, one of my my favorite cook one of my favorite cookbooks is this little book called The Secrets of Pistolet, which is a little town in France. And it's all this little French cooking. And it says, and the recipe starts by saying, go to the market and find the fruit vendor with the pinkest cheeks, and then you go. <laughs> and and then you buy your fruit and whatever and and it's just it has this sort of interiority this community feel to it that is so sweet and and really enriches life i mean this modern life that we live with the supermarket life has a certain um alienation to it and a, a certain deadening quality that um is coming will be coming back as as we move forward,
1: yes exactly
0: yeah. So wonderful. That's, that's cool.
1: It is also very important how they, they said that whatever you do, you have to have a conscience of all the other people. So basically, whatever your activity is, you should be aware that it has an impact maybe on people many, many miles away from you. Yeah. So this is not isolation. This uh, this kind of localization is not isolation because you must do everything in your local community bearing in mind that it may have an impact on other people as well.
0: Yeah. No, that's right. And and uh, there's a ways certainly a ways to go here, but we see the beginnings of that too as more and more people are, you know, I want to know where did my computer come from? What are the conditions of the people in China who are building them? That matters to me now. I never used to even think about it. Exactly. Yeah. So another category that you um, backcasted with your groups, and again, your groups of older experts, uh, which we would sort of uh, call modernists or orange, and your younger students, the postmodernists, thinking about 50 years in the future and working back, Another category uh, that you looked at was corporate and political governance. So tell me a bit about what you came up with there.
1: Um, it was quite interesting how they uh, they saw the nonprofit and for-profit spheres kind of merge. Uh, they were saying that um, the for-profit sector will be either forced uh, by regulations, or uh, or simply they they realise that it, they they are better off acting as um, part of society and not uh, not just separated as part of the market. So they are, after all, social constructions, and they need to realise that just being for profit does not mean that all they need to care about is the market they do have um social obligations um, and uh and they were saying that in 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 2050 this will be absolutely clear because it's it's also the the consumers and the employers um and the employees, they will all realise that what what they do must have, um, well, a beneficial impact on on society. Otherwise, their their work is useless. This does not mean that they cannot make profit. Not at all. All they said was that they must do this uh, without harming um, without harming society. So this is not a, this is no longer a, a very individualist uh, approach. And on the other hand, they were saying that that uh, the social economy and and the non profit economy will grow because uh, whatever drives the social economy now um, is uh, is is the common values that bring people together, and they say we want to make our own lives better we want to create our own living and um and these common values uh that bring together uh people in the in the social economy now um, these these will will be strengthened more and more and uh but but also the social uh the the non-profit sector Uh, will learn something from the for-profit sector and they will become um, a little bit more aware of of how to run businesses and how to be a little bit more efficient than they are now. So they are learning uh, corporate governance from the uh, for-profit sector and the for-profit sector is learning... um, um, awareness and and uh, respecting common values from the non profit sector, so this is how uh, how uh, uh, these two sectors in the economy will will start converging.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very integral move. I mean, what we would say is that you, you, we have the the two different antithesis in a way we have the for-profit that thinks all they have to do is make money and we have the non-profit that thinks all we have to do is serve humanity and that out of these two polar opposites if you will there's a new synthesis that arises and that's integral thinking right there where they both learn the best from each other and they keep their identities perhaps but they are you know just more richly informed
1: and this is exactly the vision of of both groups
0: Yes. Yeah, well, you, and you talked about how some of this will happen through regulation and some of this will happen through, um, you know, the, these corporations particularly will realize we have to be better citizens or, you know, our customers are going to not like us anymore. And we see that with the computer companies that are going back over their supply chains and making changes in the, you know, working conditions. I see that one of the things happening in Europe is that Google is being forced in Europe, and this is actually by regulation, to, uh, I love this, the right to be forgotten law, where somebody can say to Google, take me off of your Google, and they and they have to do it. And that kind of thing, <laughs> uh, I'm happy to see that.
1: Yes, Uh this was actually a difference between uh uh between the older generation and the younger generation. The younger generation um preferred or believed more in legislation and um uh, and the power of the law while the older generation um, they they are probably by now more aware of the fact that you know regulation on its own does not does not work Uh, there must be some um, awareness uh, campaign there must be a change in mentality in order to make legislation work so um, it was quite exciting to to see how uh, how the younger people when when they were identifying uh, policy steps they identified a lot of um, legislation and, and regulation while the older folks they were all uh, for awareness campaigns and um and and a lo- lot softer and and they were focusing on on the consciousness and 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 on uh, on changing the the belief systems rather than just pure legislation yeah. so this is also quite exciting to see
0: no, it's, it's wonderful, and um, I think of, um, you know, again, what we're talking about, Sandra, and this is sort of always the case in, in integral thinking, is we're talking about a raising of consciousness. So, it, it, it you know, at some point, of course we want both. We're going to need legislation, and we're going to need this other thing, too, where uh, there's actually a moral development of corporations. <laughs> and um, I think of, in the United States, there's a company called Tesla, the, the, this is the company that makes electric cars run by this really visionary guy, Elon Musk, who is from Eastern Europe somewhere. Uh, but at any rate, they just released all their patents. Uh, they, they released all of their patents. Anybody can copy any technology from them that they want. And they did this because they just want to uh, increase the playing field of this electric car market and that's you know normal that's not normal for companies especially technology companies like theirs yeah, so i it think it's normal
1: now but if you if you actually if you actually consider yourself a, a social construction as a company then why not you know you're serving people you're serving humans you're serving your society so what's the point i mean as soon as as the focus shifts from the profit of the few to actually, yes. W- why are we doing this? Why? Why do we have companies? Why do we produce goods? And once the answer is not okay to make money, but yes to serve the purposes of uh, of living better lives, then then this this all changes. And why why shouldn't they they share knowledge and and why shouldn't everything be open source?
0: Yes, exactly. And I think of Starbucks, uh, another American company where the uh, CEO, who's very progressive and very forward-thinking in these ways, uh, offered a college education to any of their, I think, full-time employees. And that is, you know, uh, remarkable. And they also pay way above minimum wage. And they're people – you can feel it when you go into a Starbucks – that there's just a, a, there's a vibe. There's, there's something that's, that's why they're so popular. I mean, I know, you know, there are people who resist the corporatation of coffee and I get it. And there's wonderful small companies too, of course, but this is, um, this is the shape of things to come. Yes. So Sandra, what, what other um, areas did you and your folks, uh, forecast backcast and 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 think about
1: um well this wasn't uh the focus of uh, of uh, backcasting but strangely enough uh it, it it appeared in 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 both groups and this was the the idea of uh, of a diff- different democracy and i found that very exciting to to listen to how how this image of of a different democracy um uh kind of developed um in in both groups and they did not actually say they were talking about deliberative democracy but the way they were talking about how decisions are made um this was uh, this this was by definition uh um some something like deliberative democracy uh where um where decisions are taken uh by the people by the by the stakeholders uh and and not um and not just um you know faraway institutions uh that we can no longer relate to so the kind of uh the discussions that arose um showed that this idea of representative democracy is is beginning to is beginning to fade away no. and um uh, and and people have the um have the urge to participate in decision making and to say that every the responsibility should lie where the decision lies and the decision uh should be where the responsibility is so you know if um if we are the ones paying the price we should be the ones taking the decisions yes um yeah. and uh yep. and people have the moral obligation to participate uh to to say what they think and 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 we have um and and they they all believe that it is possible to actually incorporate uh different stakeholder views in in one decision rather than just yeah. vote once in in four or five years and uh, and then just uh um exclude or disenfranchise half the population or even more yeah so uh, so, so this was exciting about... and, they, and they were saying this is work i mean you know people should uh, should participate in uh, in citizen juries um uh, people should and the technology enables us um to to get more and more people involved in in decision yeah. making uh, and and actually the the very method of backcasting is a participatory uh deliberative method with the aim of improving policy making yeah. so even even our research in backcasting the aim was um to to come up with with better policy solutions um so um so it shows that it, you know if you if you if people take take the time or they have the time or they have the the freedom to participate then uh uh then a lot of exciting things can 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 come out of it yeah. uh and this is how uh this is how politics and democracy should evolve.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like when you talk about political governance or you know, policy, uh, it's a little bit like uh, what we were talking about with this localization and globalization thing. There are some decisions that the the, the closer to the ground that you can make them, the you know, neighborhood by neighborhood is fine. Uh, and there's some some decisions need to be made citywide, some larger, some globally, of course. And we are just we just see in this network meshwork that is arising through technology that this is possible, and it's just intelligent to do that. It just creates a better world.
1: Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and this is what what they they were saying that technology now enables us and especially in 2050 you know they were thinking 2050 especially in 2050 we will have the technology that enables us to uh to to take the decisions on the levels they are supposed to be taken
0: yeah yeah and that we'll just learn what that is as we go but um yeah and again this is what i love about this is it it is a a harmonization or an integration of these two poles that we see politically right now, certainly in America, and that is the big government uh, people and the big corporation people, and that there is a way of the the next integration will be to globalize and localize uh, these systems uh, just ever more intelligently so uh Sandra, I see that we're uh getting near the end of our time together uh so what else are you thinking about or is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, maybe one more uh, uh interesting thing that that came up uh was uh was a a completely different vision of uh of education mm. that um that was um encouraging uh alternative uh, pedago- pedagogy and um and and wanted this focus on the uh on the personal capacities the p- personal capabilities of students so, um and this uh this all lines up towards um like how how can we how can we transform work and say that people should work in positions where they are most suited where they can develop the best they don't all have to do the best jobs uh, but even the people who do like um, kind of worse jobs they are very highly appreciated by society because they know they are everyone knows that they are doing hard hard work So some people would find self development in in those as well but in order to to be able to to create such such a a world, we need to start with education, and we need to start uh, to to educate our children so that they they actually know what they they are good at. They know how to develop themselves. They are they are aware of their own qualities, and uh, and education is not just. A, you know, not just the same source for everyone, yeah. uh, and and definitely not just a, a kind of uh, um, one-sided communication where the teacher tells them what what's good or bad, but you know right. something that that focuses on uh, uh, on the on the person on on the self-development of that particular person. Yeah. Um, and they thought this was this this was one of the most important things in in uh in changing our, our our world that we start with the children and we enable them um to become conscious citizens and and conscious people yeah. um no, that's
0: so, not... uh, so that that was yeah, uh, I, I...
1: That was another part of, of the vision that they, they strongly felt about both groups.
0: Well, and as we think about, uh, again, the evolution of things, um, it's a little bit like that that globalization, localization thing again. Uh, there are some skills that every child w- will need, you know, to, to be part of the technology in the world and read and write and whatever, and even you know consciousness and and groups about emotions and feelings and that sort of thing, and then uh, and then the education is also uh, very much customized to the aptitudes and the individual personality and karma of this precious little human being, this this unique human being. And both of those things are seen, and both of them are taken into account. Very beautiful vision, Sandra. Thank you. <laughs> So what's next for you Sandra? Uh,
1: well I am um, I am defending my uh, thesis next week <laughs> next <laughs> Thursday luck. my uh, PhD um but then I will have a, another round uh, um later on this year. Um but I will I will definitely want to continue with this research because um because i I believe that uh uh the world does need a vision uh, because currently we tend to uh we tend to think quite negatively uh and and say that oh, we don't know where we're going, and okay, I would like to do something, but what can I do i'm so 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 small, and you know i I have no impact on the world and uh, and and i believe that people need positive visions and um um some would call this utopia i mean uh, most scientists in the world would call this uh, a utopia what we're working right. with but i i believe that this world does need utopias yeah, uh, me too. and <laughs> and uh, and i i think um I think this is kind of this can be my little um how can i put it um contribution <laughs> to the world that you know uh to talk about this vision to 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 just just make make people believe that uh there could be another way and i i think there will be another way and um and not not everything we're heading towards is 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 bad and negative
0: no. That's right. Well, hallelujah, sister.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's just development. I mean, we will we've all we've continued to develop I, mean, I, I would argue that the world we live in now would look like a utopia to people who lived a thousand years ago. You know, or <laughs> five hundred years ago. So, you know, the That's beat goes weird. on. <laughs> All right, Sandra. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll stay in touch and see how you you continue to grow and develop. And, and again, my guest is Sandra, uh, soon-to-be Dr. Alexandra Kovas. So uh, congratulations to you in advance.
1: Hopefully. (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. All right. Thanks, folks. Check it out. Jeff Salzman here. Bye-bye.